0: Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. John chapter 17, if you will. John chapter 17. <clears throat> That's not contagious, but the life of God on me is, so don't get too close. The only thing you'll catch at Anchor Faith is a healing. Come in here sick, you'll leave healed. Come on, if she can just touch the hem of his garment. Worried about catching something now. Hallelujah. (laughs) John chapter 17. Glory to God. Look at this in verse 13. This is Jesus praying. How many of you believe that God answered Jesus' prayers? Think so? Amen. This is Jesus praying. He's about to go to the cross, about to, uh, you know, pay the price that he came to pay for you and I. But look at what he says here in John chapter 17. Um, Aaron, what translation did you pull up there? You got the New King James. We'll go with the New King James. That's perfect. John chapter 17, verse 13. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world that they, that's his disciples and believers in general, may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. He says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I did not pray that you should take them out. I think this is a verse that a lot of believers have skipped over and and missed, but listen to what Jesus says here. And again, he's praying. He's talking to the Father about you and I. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. He doesn't have problems and all the stuff that escape this world and escape its issues and escape its problems and all the stuff that we see. But here's the problem. If we're more interested in leaving the world, then we can't change the world. If we're more interested in getting out, then we can't get something in. And so I want to help shift our focus a little bit, you know, in the midst of all that we see going on, in the midst of things that take place, we need to understand our role and our position as the church. And Jesus did not come and do all that he did to give us an escape route, but actually he came and made us the avenue through which he wants to bring heaven into the world. But you understand how the two pictures are contradictory. You understand how those two images, I'm either trying to get out or I'm trying to bring something in. I can only be focused on one or the other. I can't be separated. I can't have my mentality or or my agenda and my plans on on a daily basis. I can't one day be, I just got to get out of here. God, just take us all home and be so spiteful and so uh, inundated with what's happening around me that it affects what's in me. But rather, I've got to live in a position where I say everything I see around me is the very reason why I exist. Everything that's taking place, all the calamity, all the disparity, all the the destruction that's taking place is the very reason why I am in this place to begin with. And so we've got to shift this focus, got to shift this perspective. He says this, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Notice he just, put in that, he just put that in there two times. He just repeated himself. He just said, he's really wanting to drive home, you're not of this world. You're not of this world. You're not of this world. The title of my message tonight is Out of This World. Out of This World. And he's wanting us to understand that we're not of the world, so that we can understand the impact we can have on the world. I don't come from the same systems, I don't come from the the, the same plans, I don't come from the same way that they operate, the same way they respond, the same way they speak. So I'm not of the world, they aren't of the world, and if I'm not of the world, that means I'm not limited to it. You understand the difference? Being of the world, what he's literally saying is they don't come from that system, and that word world is not literally the world, uh, you know, earth that we're talking about this globe, that word world is actually the word cosmos. And cosmos just has to do with the functionality or, or the, the way things are done. He's talking about a system is what he's talking about. He's not talking about the the trees and the plants. He's talking about the systems of hatred, the systems of of destruction, the the systems of sickness and disease, the systems of lack and poverty, the systems of relying on worldly things to get you out of problems and out of issues. He's saying you don't come from that system. You don't come from the way that it functions. It's completely contrary to the way we ought to function. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Verse 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them. Sanctify means to set apart for a purpose. Set apart for a purpose. You know, you can set things apart to discard and get rid of. That's not the type of setting apart that he's talking about. He's talking about the setting apart for a specific purpose or function, sanctify them. Set them apart for a specific function. There's a job there to do. They, are, they need to be separated or set apart from the world so that we can impact the world. Not set apart to close off within ourselves and just do our little churchy things and, and, and just wait for the day that we all go to heaven and ignore what's happening on in the world, what's going on in the world, but set apart so I don't become like them, so I can help change them. You see, there's a difference. So sanctify them for a specific purpose or function. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them. You know, you were sent to the world. That means there's an assignment. That means that there's an assignment. That means that there's a reason why you and I exist in this cosmos, in this system. We have an assignment. We have a job to do. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they may also be sanctified by the truth. I want to give you three keys, three simple keys to changing the world. Three keys to changing the world. And you know, we hear this a lot. You're a world changer. You're gonna you're gonna change the world. You you have the power, the ability to change the world. We 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 throw that around and, and it becomes such, you know, almost a cliche, especially in church. We're gonna change the world, we're gonna change the world. But what does that really look like? What does that really look like? How does the church change? The world. How does the church literally affect change in a world that seems to be going directly against what the word of God even stands for? How do we continue to have this level of impact? You know, I I, I live my life daily thinking this, and 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 you you see destruction, you see the things that are taking place, and you just you almost get overwhelmed with what. What can I really do? <laughs> right? What can I really do? What could I really say? How could I really word it? Who could I really affect change with? And so I just want to give you three simple keys. These aren't all inclusive, but this is what the Lord showed me to, to bring to our church and bring to this house tonight. Number one, three keys to change in the world. Number one, come out from the world. Come out from the world. And this is a huge one. He says, sanctify them, set them apart. He says, I am not of the world, and they are not of the world. Number one, come out from the world. We know this, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Romans chapter 12. Very popular passage, verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do not be conformed to this world. And I'll be honest, this part of Christianity is becoming very diluted in this day and age. We end up on either one side or the other of a line drawn in the sand of, I'm removing myself from the world so much so that I no longer have any impact or any influence over them. Or, I become so engaged with the world that I, now I look just like them. But if he tells us, I'm not of the world, just as you aren't of the world, sanctify them, set them apart for a specific purpose, but to still yet have influence on the world, then there must be a way to do it, right? Jesus wouldn't pray to his heavenly father for us to do something or have an assignment that we couldn't possibly fulfill. That would be awful. That would be horrible to give someone an assignment that you can't actually succeed at this, but just try to be in it, but not of it. To be in it, but don't look like it, act like it, talk like it, respond like it. No, there is a way to be around it, but not influenced by it. And we've got to find the way to do this. The church has to get better at doing this, coming out from the world. I tell you today, there are conversations and there are questions and there are challenges that, that, that I am seeing church leaders deal with that 10, 15 years ago were no question. That's not stuff that we engage in. That's not stuff that we do. And we, we have, have come into this realm as believers and, and as the church that if we if we remove too much of our uh 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 you know worldly behaviors that will be of no use to the world that we're trying to influence. And and I'm I'm just appalled at the things that are now being accepted and tolerated, allowed, and now almost encouraged. And I'm not talking about lay members of the church. I'm talking about leaders, leadership. I don't even have to ask you to show your hands. We've all seen leadership fail in the church. We know people, you know names of people right now that say, I'll never step foot back in a door because of dot, dot, dot. But as believers, we have a very high responsibility to draw the line and set the standard. And I don't care if it's 2020, and I don't care if we're supposed to be progressive, and I don't care if we're supposed to be forward thinkers, and I don't care if we're going to lose a certain crowd if I say we don't do this and don't do that. You know, we throw this term around well, we don't want to be legalistic. What do you think a kingdom is? A kingdom is a government system. Jesus did not come to, to, to build a religion and a fan club and, and a bunch of heaven seekers. He came to bring a kingdom, a government authority, a ruling authority that comes with laws. There are legalities. In fact, the very covenant and the very contract that you have with your heavenly father is legally bound. When the, when the Bible says in Romans 10, confess. To confess Jesus as Lord, that word confess is not just whimsically say. It means literally to form a binding covenant, a binding agreement. That's what that word confess means. You're in a covenant, and you should be thankful for that covenant. Does that covenant have restrictions? Absolutely, but the blessing's in the boundary. I can't expect the kingdom law to work for me if I don't submit to it. So we shouldn't be having these conversations of how much can I tiptoe in the world and how close can I get to... Look, if you're going to live your life on the line, don't be surprised when you fall in. It doesn't take much. There's not enough margin there. There's not enough margin in my life to just follow the line. Asking the question, is this a sin? That shouldn't even be in our brains. That shouldn't even be in our minds. You know, is it a sin for this to happen? Is it a sin for believers to do? Is it a sin? That shouldn't even be the, the thought process. I want to know how how close can I get to my Father? Not how close can I get to the world and still end up in heaven. We're engaging in the wrong conversations, and it's setting us on the wrong course. And the world is getting the wrong interpretation. Before you know it, I've disqualified myself from even impacting the very people. That I'm trying to impact. And we we know the statistics. The things, the the the, the numbers and the statistical measurements in the church in, in some arenas just as high as they are in the world, divorce rates just as high in the church as they are in the world. How are we to be the image of Christ? We're the body of Christ. Guys, we're doing a major disservice to the world if if my first thought is how much can I look like you and still have an impact on you? We're, We're doing a major disservice. In Colossians chapter one, Colossians chapter one, we, 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 we have to get back to righteousness and holiness. We do. Ephesians chapter 5 tells us, you don't have to turn there, but Ephesians chapter 5, that was Jesus is coming back for a glorious church, a holy church without spot or wrinkle. Not one that toes the line, not one that, that, that tries. And, and look, we understand that this is not about behavior modification, but I'm going to tell you right now, when the Holy Spirit gets in you and when you have the Spirit of God living in you, it will modify behavior. That's not the goal, but it is a byproduct. At some point, fruit comes out. And bad trees bear bad fruit, and good trees bear good fruit. And we've got to get back to righteousness and holiness as a church. We gotta get back to, I'm not gonna engage in things that even give off the appearance of evil. And I'll be honest with you, some of those things are things that were once acceptable before, but the perception and the appearance has been progressive, therefore I have to eliminate it and cut it off. The things we put before our eyes, the things that we... Put into our bodies, the people that we hang around, the things that we engage in, the things that we listen to, the things that come out of our mouth. I hear Christians cussing. And I'm not just talking about in a conversation that's not recorded or can't be. I'm talking on the Internet, in a comment or on a post. Y'all have seen it. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. Aren't they on a worship team at da-da-da-da-da Church? Filthy words coming out of our mouths. I believe the Bible says in here, in Ephesians chapter 4, do not let any filthy word come out of your mouth. This, this tolerance and this acceptability, it, it, it is running its course, and it is it's contaminating our product. It's contaminating our message. If I happen to cuss to win over a lost person, think about that. It's a strange dichotomy. That's a strange way to have to win the lost by becoming lost. Colossians chapter 1 verse 9, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, we do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk Worthy of the Lord. Are we asking that question? We have a lot of conversations about, I just want, uh, the the Father loves me. God loves you. God loves you no matter what you've done. God loves you no matter where you've been. God God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. But Paul was pushing the church. This is a church in Colossae. This is a church. The Colossians were a physical church. And he's saying, you ought to walk worthy of the Lord, which tells me I can walk unworthy of the Lord. I've used this example before. You know, I've got two boys now. Thank God we're we're all at home now. We're loving life at home, not dra- traveling halfway across, felt like halfway across the planet. Feels so good to be home. I have two boys that I love with all my heart. There's nothing they could ever do to make me not love them. Nothing. They could murder someone, I would still love them. but it does not mean that they're walking worthy of what I taught them. It doesn't mean that I approve of their lifestyle and of their choices. Paul was taking his churches further, deeper. I mean, he taught them to know the love of Christ, right? Didn't he, he's the one that penned that in Ephesians chapter 3. To know the width and the length and the height and the depth of the love of God that passes all understanding. I mean, he wanted them to know the love of God, but he also wanted them to walk worthy of God. Walk worthy of being called his child. It's deeper. Look at this, fully pleasing him fully pleasing him, not halfway pleasing. It's one thing to be loved. It's one thing to be pleased. He loves you. That doesn't mean he's pleased. So we've got to go deeper as a church. We cannot have this line. When we're talking about come out from the world, There's got to be a separation. Guys, there are just some things that shouldn't be engaged in, some things that shouldn't be allowed or tolerated in the life of the believer. And again, this isn't about rules and do's and don'ts, but ultimately that's what this is. This is law abiding. We, we, We abide by the principles of the word of God so that we can receive the full benefit of the word of God. Certain things that we engage in, it's just not healthy. It's not good. Fully pleasing Him. Being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might according to His glorious power for all patience and longsuffering. With joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Now watch this, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. That's how powerful this relationship with the Father is. That's how powerful this relationship and, and coming into this, this, this kingdom that uh, uh, he's brought us into is so powerful that he can redeem us even from the, the strongest addictions and the strongest powers of sin and the strongest things that once held a hand and a grip on our life. You can be free. We can be free. It's time for the, for the right message to come out for the church. It's time for the gospel to be the gospel. It's time for the gospel to not be, well, in spite of all you've done, Jesus died for you. Yeah, but in spite of all that, Jesus died not just to free you from the, the, the penalty of sin, he came to free you from the power of sin itself. Not just from having to pay the price when we die, but from having to live under the power of sin even on this earth. And now today, what's sin and what's not sin has become such a question mark for believers. We don't even know where that line is drawn anymore. We've blurred the line. You know, that's exactly what the enemy wants. For you to think you're in one kingdom when you're still living like the other. And it's not judgmental. I'll tell you right now, judgments, judgment literally means to cast a sentence. There's only one that's going to cast a sentence. I can't cast, a a police officer doesn't judge you when they arrest you. They just reveal you broke the law, but there is a judge that you'll stand before and they will cast the sentence of penalty for the law that was broken. I'm not here to cast the sentence. I'm just here to help you understand that here's the black and white, here's the line in the sand, and you're on this side, not this side. But on top of that, we have the answer to get them out of it. I have the answer to get you out of that. You don't have to live that way. You don't have to talk that way. You don't have to function that way. That's a broken way to live. And for us as a church, we are doing people a disservice when we tolerate the wrong things. We're doing them a disservice. I mean, even Jesus with the woman that was ready to be stoned, By the religious leaders, remember? They came to him and tried to trap him. She was caught in the act of adultery, brought her out in front of the public, brought her out in front of everybody, ready to condemn her for her sins. Jesus said, where are those that condemn you? Well, they're gone. Because he said the first one that hasn't sinned cast the stone. They were ready to cast judgment. They were ready to uh, secure a penalty for her crime, for her sin. Jesus said, I don't condemn you. But he still ended it with go and sin no more. Still set the standard. Was able to free her and deliver her and still set the standard of what sin looks like and we do not need to engage this engage in this any longer. It must be possible. It must be a way. There must be a way. Jesus, the one full of grace and truth. John chapter 17 and verse 17, when it says sanctify in the new living, it reads this way, make them holy by your truth. Make them holy by your truth. Your word, is truth, the Word of God. How 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 good do we think we can follow the Word that we don't abide and live in? You know, I know, I, under, I understand that I always come, you know, I can always run the risk of sounding archaic and antiquated when I tell church and church people and believers that we should be in the Word on a daily basis. <laughs> it's just so silly to me now that even encouraging church, even encouraging believers to be in the word. That, that the, the, the very simple discipline of reading the word of God. But how can I abide by it if I'm not in it? In fact, Jesus himself said in John chapter 15, abide in me, my word, and my words abide in you and you'll what? Bear much fruit. You always reveal what you abide in. You always reveal what you abide in. There should be a remarkable difference between the church and the world. There should be a remarkable difference between the church and the world. I saw this quote a few years ago, and it just, it hit me so heavy. A hypocrite never intends to be what he pretends to be. A hypocrite never intends to be what he pretends to be. Let's just be what we're called to be. Let's just be what we're called to be. This 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 message tonight is more than getting access to heaven. This message tonight, the, the, you know, the gospel was not given to us for self preservation. It was given to us for world preservation. You've got to understand that. The goal was not to preserve yourself and just make sure I'm good. The goal was to get good so we can get as many people with us as possible. And wide is the road that leads to destruction, but narrow is the gate that leads to life. I want to be on the narrow road. I'd rather be the minority. I'd rather be me and a couple than me and a lot. You with me? We get closer and closer, it's almost like that road gets more and more narrow. It thins more and more people out. It filters more and more people out. But you got to stay on the narrow road. You got to stay on the path that leads to life, regardless of who else is doing it. Amen. Amen. So number one, we have to come out from the world. Don't copy behaviors, customs. Let's separate ourselves. Let's sanctify ourselves by the word of God. Number two. Number two. How are we going to change the world? Boldness by the Holy Spirit. Boldness by the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 4 verse 13. Aaron, I think I gave you the wrong one, but Acts chapter 4 verse 13 is the one that I need there. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples, the apostles, those that were in the 120 in the upper room. Mighty rushing wind, tongues of fire, uh, speaking with a new language. The Holy Spirit came upon them. Then Peter preaches that message. Over 3,000 souls come into the kingdom on day one, the first megachurch. Chapter 3, uh, they are on their way to church doing their thing just like they always do. But now they're seeing with a different perspective a man that was by the gate, always been by that gate. That's where he goes. And now they see him differently. They say, Silver and gold I have none, but such as I have, give unto thee. And they raise the, the, the lame man up. He's leaping and running and jumping and praising God, goes to church with them, and, and and rather than that, just causing a celebration, all the religious leaders are like, great, here we go again, now we don't, it's not just Jesus, but now we've got Jesus' followers doing the same things that he was doing, we just got rid of this guy, now we've multiplied, there's more of them, and so they try to, you know, confront them and challenge them, you're not going to preach in the name anymore, and in Acts chapter 14, or Acts chapter 4, verse 13, look what these, uh, these, these Religious leaders say, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. They saw the boldness. Their boldness stood out. First thing I want to highlight out of that verse is this. It doesn't take as much as you think to change the world. They're untrained, they're uneducated, they didn't go to the right school, they didn't make the right amount of money, they didn't have the right status, they didn't hang with the right friends, they didn't even live in the right part of town. They were disqualified on all fronts, but yet their boldness caused them to change the world, turn it upside down, the Bible says. It doesn't take as much as you think. But this boldness is not just common boldness. This is an uncommon boldness. This is a boldness that is not known to man. This is not just boldness that you get from just, you know, straightening your back and sticking your chest out. This is a boldness by the Holy Spirit and it only comes by the Holy Spirit. So I would say this, if we are, if we are disconnected from the Holy Spirit, we are separated from the boldness that comes with it. It's not one of the Elements that we usually think of with the Holy Spirit. It's not even one of the nine fruits. It's not love, joy, and boldness. (laughs) But boldness comes when the power of the Holy Spirit comes on us. Sure, to, to, to heal the sick, raise the dead, speak in new tongues. But this boldness is an element that we need and more and more we need it as the day draws near. We need a boldness to speak up When no one else is speaking up. To remain silent. When no one else is remaining silent. To stand for what the word says. When everything else is standing against what the word says. Do we have the boldness. To do it when no one else is doing it. Do we have the boldness. To still declare. What we believe. When everyone else denies it. There was a boldness that came upon them. And in Acts chapter 4 verse 29, as they get let go and they go back to their own community, they go back to their own people, it says. This time they got let go, but that doesn't happen very often. Many times they ended up in jail. Many times they ended up beaten. Many times they ended up, you know, cast out and eventually were murdered for their boldness to stand for what the word of God says. But look at this in Acts chapter four. This was a close call now. They got arrested. They just saw their leader, their master, their teacher, hung on a cross in front of everybody to see, beaten to where you couldn't even notice him anymore. It's still fresh on their brains. We're talking 50 days out from the crucifixion of Jesus. And they're thinking now we're arrested. We're going to end up in the same position as then. You would, you would think, okay, we, we, we dodged that bullet. Let's just lay low. Keep my mouth shut. I'll do the underground church thing. But look at what they pray in Acts chapter 4, verse 29. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. What are they asking for? We need to replenish our boldness. We need some more boldness. We're a little depleted. That was a close call. Man, there was boldness that got us. And I can't even believe Peter said what he said. I can't even believe John said what he said. I can't even believe they stood their ground. That was for sure the thing. The same Peter that denied Jesus three times, the same Peter that wasn't even on, uh, he was just denying being associated with the sociopath, Jesus. And now he's standing up in front of everybody saying, yeah, that's the Jesus. And he, if you go back to the passage in Acts chapter, the end of Acts chapter 3, he actually says, that Jesus that you crucified, he laid it right on top of him. Oh, he, yeah, he didn't hold back. Yeah, you crucified him. But because you crucified him, he was able to come back to life and resurrect just as he promised he would. And now he has empowered us to go and do the same. Don't you dare preach in the name of Jesus any longer. They go back to their company, and what did they pray for? More boldness. You go on to read, it says that the Holy Spirit hit the place again. They were filled with the Holy Spirit again. Wait a minute, I thought they were filled in Acts chapter 2. Yeah, they went and got a refilling. (laughs) You might know the day you got filled, but how, how many times have you been refilled since then? How many times has the Holy Spirit met you in the way that he initially met you? Man, I, I was reading a pastor friend of mine in Ohio. He was just, you know, I you know, just doing one of those little church vents a little bit, just getting some stuff off his chest. And uh and, and he's he's my age, I guess, probably right around my age, and pastors of church in Cleveland, Ohio, and he was just posting You know, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. I grew up in charismatic environments. And sure, there was a lot of craziness. Sure, there was a lot of nuttiness. Sure, there was a lot of flesh that we called the Holy Spirit. But we got to get back to some of the Pentecostal thoughts and the the charismatic mentality. Do I have any Pentecostal people? I just got to see your hand. I'm not saying anything against anybody that didn't grow up around that. But he was, and that's how I grew up. And... uh, (laughs) He was. You're pointing them out now. That's one of them over there. And he was saying, we read a Bible that talks about a flood that comes and engulfs the whole world. Uh, An old man that builds an ark at, uh, you know, age 500. uh, Builds a boat when there hadn't even been any rain. We're talking about a a small shepherd boy that defeats a giant. We're, We're talking about donkeys that can talk. Uh, We're we're talking about people on chariots that go straight to heaven, don't even die. Uh, The the craziness that we read about and the food being multiplied to feed over 20,000 people. But then we get to the God of the universe himself wants to come in and dwell and live inside of us and give you a new prayer language and give you the ability to lay hands on the sick and see them recover and and, and to prophesy and to speak in tongues and do all these things. And now all of a sudden we lose our mind like "That, that can't be true. And I was like, you're so right. (laughs) Of all the things in this Bible that we believe with no issue, we get hung up on tongues. We get hung up on God himself wanting to come and live inside of us when Jesus, before he even went to the, the last supper, was telling his disciples, let me introduce you to this man because it's actually to your advantage that I go. If I don't go, He can't come and indwell inside of you. We're going to get to heaven. We're going to ask Moses what it was like to part a Red Sea and ask David what it was like to kill a giant. And they're going to look at us and say, what was it like to have the Holy Spirit living inside of you? (laughs) Tell me about that. We'll talk about the Red Sea, the, you know, it's not as crazy as you think. But the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in, we only wish that the Holy Spirit would visit us in that way. Moses would talk about the tabernacle that he had to build, set up and tear down, set up and tear down, set up and tear down. Everywhere they went, every spot they hit, set up and tear down. And you had to send someone in that was completely spotless or sinless, otherwise they would die inside there. And all the sins of the people had to come to that one man, and that one man had to go in. And they had to do all this thing, had the bread out, and had the, 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 the candles, and, and had all the special stuff. And then the Lord would meet them. Solomon would tell you about the temple that was built, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And, all, and then we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit living inside of us. You are the temple. The Bible has to offer you. We need the Holy Spirit in these last days. We cannot be a church that just tolerates the Holy Spirit and puts him in a corner. We have to rely and depend on him every day. Every day. Paul said, I pray in tongues more than all of you. You know, we ministered just a couple of weeks ago about Paul uh, in Acts chapter 27, shipwrecked. How do you think he perceived that there was a storm coming ahead? By the Holy Spirit. If we can't see the way out by the Holy Spirit. None of us are that smart. None of us are that clued in. And it's not just for certain people, special people. It's for every person. God is not a respecter of persons that he'd give you access to something that he wouldn't give me access to. Every one of us has access to the living Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us and to lead us and to guide us and to teach us and to remind us of what he said and to show us things to come. Paul was pulling on the Holy Spirit that showed him what was to come. And guys, I do not think we should press on. We need to stay here. They didn't listen. They ended up in the very trouble that he perceived was coming. That he saw by the Holy Spirit. In these last days, we're not gonna change the world without the Holy Spirit. We're not. Not the way he's called us to. We gotta have the Holy Spirit. We've got to have the Holy Spirit and rely on Him, depend on Him. And that boldness, that boldness will come. So, number one, we've got to come out separate from the world. We don't function like them. We don't think like them. We don't act like them. And that's okay, guys. It's okay. It's okay to be the only one in the room not drinking. It's okay. I'm just going to tell you, and I don't care if they're all church people. It's okay to be the only one not engaging in what is worldly. It's all right. I want to be the one that the world runs to and says, I notice you don't do any of this. Can you help me? There's just something about you. You seem like you have some answers, some solutions. It's not about being better than anybody. It's about being able to pull people up out of the muck and mire and not being stuck in it with them and just having to throw my arm around their shoulder and say, we're gonna get through it, brother. More than that. I I can do more than just sympathize with you. I can lead you out. Separate from the world. We need boldness by the Holy Spirit. We need this Holy Spirit boldness, uncommon. Number three, we need a heart of reconciliation. We need a heart of reconciliation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul speaks to this ministry of reconciliation. How are we going to change the world? How are we going to remain the influence and the impact that Jesus prayed about in John chapter 17? How are we going to be as effective as we ought to be? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 16, Paul says this, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. We regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. The New Living reads it this way. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. We have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. In essence, this is what Paul was saying. Until I see people differently, then I can't help them the way God would help them. Until I see them differently, until I have a different point of view, until I have a different perspective, then I cannot offer the same assistance I would. So how I view people and how I see people has, has to align with how the Father sees them. The enemy wants you to wage war on flesh and blood. And that's why Paul wrote, we do not war against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the air. What's he saying? Keep your eye on the bigger picture. Your brother, your sister, your mother, your father, your employee, your employer, Your spouse, your children, they're not the enemy. Something that we tell couples a lot in counseling is one of the primary things you have to remember is it's not you against them. It's you too against him, the enemy. And if husbands and wives could remind themselves, it's not me against you. What's trying to happen here and what's trying to stir up strife and stir up division and stir up these issues, it's we are together fighting against him. But if he gets us fighting against each other, then we won't have the energy to fight the real battle. So he wants white fighting black. He wants left fighting right. He wants poor fighting rich. Right? He wants authority figures fighting subjugates and subjugates fighting authority figures. Yeah. Any way that he can wage war with flesh and blood causes a diversion away from us fighting him. But Paul is saying we are here to reconcile the lost. Not call out the lost, not post about the lost. It, 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 there's so much infighting even just within churches. It's awful. I got tired, in fact, I, I, I haven't been to a church you know, conference thing in, in probably a couple years, because a lot of it is just our circle, our group, talking about how the other group's doing it, and how we don't like it and how we're doing what It's incredible. It's a waste of my time, waste of my money, waste of my time, waste of the travel to to just sit here in our little circle, and we're not getting any better, right? Oh, you feel like you're getting better because we're calling out everything we see them doing wrong. Not getting any better. No, that doesn't bring real resolution. doesn't bring real reconciliation. He says that we have to see people differently this is how the Lord gave it to me you can't see the world as the problem you must see the world as the mission you can't see the world as the problem we must see the world as the mission that's the very assignment we are here to accomplish I don't see the world as the problem I don't see people. A thing actually popped up on my, my Facebook today that I guess I posted a couple years ago that said the evil that rules in the world is actually the evil that rules in men's hearts. That's where it starts from. And the good that we see in the world is Good. That is placed in man's heart. Everything that we are seeing in the world, in the system, in the cosmos, is a result of what is in people's hearts. That's why we have to stay focused on changing the heart, not just the atmosphere. That's why we got to focus on changing the root so that we can change the fruit. You don't change the fruit by cutting it off and pinning up new fruit. Guess what you're going to get when it comes off and when it dies? the same old fruit. Why? Because it's still rooted in the same stuff. Can't see the world as the problem. You must see the world as the mission. He goes on to say in verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, All things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Do you see that? has committed to us the word of reconciliation, and he uses Jesus as the example of what that looks like. He could have used Jesus, the only one without spot or wrinkle, the only one with the perfect, sinless ledger. To, he could have used Jesus as an avenue to bring condemnation to the world, but instead he used Jesus as an avenue to bring reconciliation He could have brought judgment through Jesus. Instead, he said, I'm bringing you through Jesus to me. So if God can carry out that measure of reconciliation, who are we to not desire to reconcile our lost brothers and sisters? Who are we to cut people off and say, not worth it. God can't change you. You're too far gone. I mean, as the nails are going through his hands, he's saying what? Father, forgive them. Why? Because forgiveness is the avenue through which you get your love to them. And I'm going to make sure that this portal remains open and I don't close it off. What if we're closing off the portal of how God is trying to get his love to the world? Because of our minuscule viewpoint of who they are. No, he says, we no longer regard man according to their flesh. We no longer see them from merely a human point of view. And that's what we've got to ask God for in this day and in in, in this where we see travesties and we see things that easily can be judged and easily say, man, that guy's a loser. That guy's lost it. There's no way I want any part of that. Could you be Jonah that God could send to the people Jonah said, these people aren't even worth going to. Nineveh? I mean, that was the, it was equative to God sending us to ISIS today. Nineveh was an Assyrian nation. They were a sworn enemy of God's people, but yet God, and you know who God was really working on in that moment? Not the people from Nineveh. He was working on Jonah. Do you see them the way I see them? Or are you going to judge them and you're going to cut off my ability to reach them because you've already come to a conclusion about them? Sometimes God is sending us to people because he's really trying to see where we're at. What's the work that needs to be done in us? Yeah, ministry, ministry reconciliation. One of the most damaging ministries in the church today is the acceptance and the tolerance of worldly living. What we need today is a ministry of reconciling those that are far from him, bringing them close to him, seeing them the way he sees them. Somebody cuts you down, Somebody attacks you, see them the way he sees them. See their hurt. See their pain. See their separation. And if you can't affect them in a way where you're literally reaching out to them, if that's been severed, then you pray for them. God is beyond me. They're not going to hear me. They're not going to hear me. They're not going to listen to me. I don't even, they've they've removed all contact. I'm I'm wiping the dust off my feet. I'm wiping my hands of this thing, but I still pray that they find you. Why? Because it keeps your heart from growing bitter. Keeps your heart from becoming offended. Keeps your heart from being impacted by their work against you and still being soft and moldable and pliable to say, God, they need you. How are we going to change the world? We've got to come out, separate. We need boldness by the Holy Spirit to speak when no one else is, to continue the works of Jesus. And we have to have a heart of reconciliation. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes.